So everybody loves a rags to riches story, right? Uh, the geeky kid, you know, four-eyed kid who, uh, fiddling around in his father's garage, uh, comes up with a company and calls it Microsoft, you know? Rags to riches story, really happened, you know? Or he calls it Apple computers, you know? Uh, very similar. Uh, how, about, how about Jacob's son, Joseph? Uh, he goes from obscurity and prison uh, to become uh, fame and fortune in one day, in one afternoon. He goes from the dungeon to the palace, from, from a prisoner to the prime minister of Egypt. We love that. I mean, rags to riches, who, who doesn't love that, right? But what about when it's riches to rags? What about when the story is going the other way and you go from, from fame and fortune to obscurity and, and uh, being forgotten? That not so much. So we want to look this morning at the Word of God and to look at yet another life that's a crash and burn experience that ends in a pile of ashes as in our picture this morning. Remember the old nursery rhyme? Uh, ring around the, what? Pocket full of? What was the next line? Ashes, ashes, we all fall down, right? Remember that? It, it, legend has it that that tune was written uh, to express what was going on at the time in Europe called the plague. Ashes, ashes, we all fall down. We, we, we all have ashes uh, in our experience and, and in our DNA. Um, the prince that I'm going to be talking about this morning had that kind of an experience, had that kind of a crash and burn experience, went from fame and fortune to obscurity and prison. This man's story differs a whole lot from last week's story about Job. Job was one of the good guys. Job was, was an upright guy. Job was one who stayed away from evil. <clears throat> this guy pursued evil. This guy was in league or in covenant with devils and demons. And so we're going to talk about him this morning. He was, he was born the son of a king who, who sired him in the September years of his life. This little prince grew up in the palace where great men like David and Solomon were inspired to write the Psalms and write many of the Proverbs. He had all the advantages of a godly heritage of a mother and father who loved the Lord and served the Lord. He, he grew up in an atmosphere of spiritual revival and renewal. He, God moved mightily in that previous generation, which makes all this the more difficult to wrap our minds around and to try to comprehend what was going on here. But human nature is what it is. Ashes. Ashes, we all fall down. Some men become monsters, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. I want you to imagine for a minute your son, your only son, in his lifetime destroys everything that you've ever tried to accomplish in furthering and advancing the kingdom of God. But, but not only that, but he also inspires a nation to go into the depths of depravity that the nation has never even known before. Imagine that. 
How vile and how wicked is too wicked. How bad is too bad. How evil is too evil for even God to be merciful, to, for, for God to bring about restoration or redemption. But if God could make a valley of dry bones live again, very dry bones, live again. If God could bring forth streams in the desert, if God could cause the wilderness to blossom like a rose, then God can bring beauty even out of the ashes of our lives. Augustine said, even from sin, God can draw good. King Hezekiah was the Martin Luther of the Old Testament. He was a reformer. He had taken away the high places where the most perverse type of, of worship was taking place in the high places. He broke up the idols and he, he brought about the, the reinstitution of the Passover and, and he restored the house of God that had been neglected during his father and his grandfather's reign as kings. He destroyed even the, the brass serpent that Moses had made in the wilderness. Remember when he lifted up the serpent in the wilderness and people were healed? Well, in his generation, people were worshiping and sacrificing and burning incense, made that into an idol. And so he broke that up in pieces and destroyed that. And then, and then came word, the sickness that he was experiencing prophet Isaiah came to him and said, Hezekiah, king of Judah, get your house in order for this sickness is unto death. And at that moment, Hezekiah turned his face toward God and he began to pray and he began to plead and he began to weep and he began to cry out unto his God. And God heard his prayers and seen his tears and turned the prophet Isaiah around and he went back into the palace and said, Isaiah, thus says the Lord, God has granted you 15 more years of life because he's seen your tears. Three years later, Manasseh was born. If I could put a theme song to him, it would be born to be wild. If I, if I could identify him with a song, it would be, you're no good, you're no good, you're no good, baby, you're no good. You know? Uh, songs like that would probably classify his, his character before us. So we're going to look at his story in 2 Chronicles 33. Story can also be found in 2 Kings chapter 21, but we're going to look primarily at 2 Chronicles 33. So you can read along with me if you have your Bibles or on the screen. Manasseh was his name. He was 12 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. 55 years the king Manasseh had reigned in Jerusalem. Fact of the matter is, is that he is the longest reigning king that ever sat upon the throne of David. Isn't that interesting? At my daughter Kelly's wedding, I've mentioned this once before, but at my daughter Kelly's wedding, I, I ran into a distant relative and uh, he was in, 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 well into his 80s, 85, 86 years old. And I said to him, and I said his name, I said, dude, I said, I said, you are living proof that only the good die young. And it was absolutely true. Sometimes, you know, we just need to just tell it like it is. And Manasseh reigned for 55 years in Jerusalem. It says in the next verse, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. Not only did he do the same things that they did, but he, as we shall see, he did even things that were worse than that. 
He rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had demolished. He erected altars to the bells and made Asherah poles. Asherah was the, was the female uh, deity, goddess, that was worshipped in, in, in I, and you, we can't even talk about that in mixed company, the kind of perversion that he led Israel into. He bowed down to all of the starry hosts and worshipped them. That is, the sun and moon and stars and the planets. And he was a, an, an astrologer, not an astronomer, an astrologer. He built altars to the temple of the Lord. Rather, he built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, My name will remain in Jerusalem forever. In both courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to all of the starry hosts. Now, you don't just build an altar. You build an altar so that you can sacrifice upon it. And Paul the Apostle reminds us, and he tells us, that they that offer meat sacrificed unto idols are offering them really unto demons. And that there were demons behind the worship that was taking place in the very temple of God, in the very courts of the Lord. He sacrificed, verse 6 says, his sons in the fire in the valley of Ben-Hidden, practiced sorcery, divination, and witchcraft, consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Then verse 7 says, he took the carved image that he had made and he put it in the temple of which God had said to David and to his son Solomon in this temple and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. Verse 9 says, Manasseh led Judah and all the people of Jerusalem astray. So they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people, but they paid no attention. God sent prophets with prophetic warnings. Turn from your ways. Prophet Micah, the prophet Isaiah, and other prophets God raised up. Turn from your ways because it's inevitable. Judgment is going to come if you do not repent. But not only did they ignore the warnings that God sent to them, but Manasseh began his reign of terror. And he began to shed innocent blood. Everyone who was for Jehovah, everyone who was for Yahweh was persecuted. The Bible says in 2 Kings 21 that he shed so much innocent blood that it filled Jerusalem from one end to the other. You know, why should that surprise us though? Here's a man, a monster who could take his own children, his own flesh and blood and offer them up in fire to the god Moloch, one of the most profane of the Canaanite gods. Enter into a covenant with demons and, and do this as an expression of worship in the very nation that God had cho chosen and called to be a holy nation, a royal priesthood, God's treasured possession. And this is what was taking place. But again, why should that surprise us? The prophet Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah who, who had prophesied so many beautiful portions of, of prophetic utterances concerning the Messiah, he took and stood by and gave the execution that, that Isaiah should be put to death. Isaiah, the one who prophesied that his name should be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. 
He was stuffed into a, according to rabbinical tradition, stuffed into the hollow of a tree trunk, and he was sworn in two. It says that in, in uh, Hebrews, the 11 chapter, some were sworn in two, speaking about Isaiah. But if he was willing to sacrifice his own sons, that, that, that shouldn't surprise us. But what kind of monster could do something like that? knowing the heritage that he had. Some people will think, well, maybe he was insane or maybe he was a monster. Maybe, maybe he was both. There's a, a haunting photo in Time, uh, or rather in Life magazine. It appeared some, some years ago uh, of a 10-year-old boy from uh, Bogota, Colombia. Uh, and the boy is playing a flute. And you could only imagine, based upon reading the story, that the song that he's playing is a very sad song. You look at his face and his eyes beneath his long, dark bangs, and you only see emptiness. This little guy who was born in Colombia, right? 10 years old now. The caption next to his photo begins to explain the disturbing image that you could see. See, when the boy was just about 10 months of age, his mother took him to the hospital with acute diarrhea, and when she came back the next day, she found his head and face completely bandaged, blood spattered around his body. When she was horrified by this, she asked the doctor what had happened. The doctor dismissed her with a, with a, a scathing re- remark like, can't you see the child is dying and, and just dismissed her. She took the child to another hospital there in, in Columbia and uh, uh, the child was being examined and then the doctor comes out with the with the stunning news, they've stolen his eyes. This child has been the victim of organ thieves. But the doctor says it's fortunate he probably will survive. You see, organ traffickers usually kill their victims. What kind of a monster could do something like that? The same kind of a monster that could offer his child in the fire. The same kind of a monster who has blinded the entire human race. The Bible calls this monster the God of this age who has blinded the minds of those that believe not, lest they should see the glorious gospel and be saved. The whole human race has been plunged into a spiritual darkness without eyes or vision to see unless a miracle takes place. Some men, who have been plunged into this plague of darkness, literally become monsters. We, we, we hear about them all the time. In verse 11 says, So the Lord brought again the, them from the army of the commanders of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh prisoner, put a hook in his nose, and bound him with bronze shackles, and brought him as a captive to Babylon. When the Assyrians invaded the land of Jerusalem, Manasseh hid himself, much like Omar Gaddafi did and was found in a rat hole and he was taken and executed. So Manasseh was taken, a a hook was put in his nose, a ring in his nose, and he was dragged off to make the long trip now to the city of Babylon. I was reading about a, gentleman who was working for 42 years, 42 years he worked in a steel mill. 
He said in the steel mill, there was a certain section of the steel mill that there was something that was fascinating that, that, that would take place. He said it looked, like, it looked like snowflakes, silver snowflakes falling gently to the, to the, to the work area, to the floor. He says, it's amazing. Visitors would come and, and so many of the workers would, would just marvel at the, the picturesque sight that it would give off, especially at night. The snowflakes that were falling turns out to be asbestos. And everybody who breathed it in suffers from asbestosis. He wrote, I can't walk too far now. I get tired real fast and it hurts when I just breathe. And to think, he says, we all fought for that job. You know, there are so many things in this world that are, that are enticing, that, that look so good, but really are, are so dangerous and so poisonous. They, they, they have the appeal of, of being uh, beautiful, but in reality uh, are nothing but evil and poison. And I guess we could say like Darth Vader Manasseh was seduced by the dark side or by the beautiful side of evil. Manasseh was 34 years old when he was carried off as a captive into Babylon. And historians say that the Assyrians were were infamous for their cruelty. Jerome writes about what he experienced. He was put into the deepest dungeon in Babylon, and there he was tortured. He was put actually into a vessel made of bronze, and it was heated excessively to the point where he suffered from this intense heat. The Assyrian king wanted to do to him what he was doing to his own kids, to his own children. I suppose that if we had a picture of him, he probably looked just as haunting as the picture of that 10-year-old boy who had his eyes stolen there in Colombia. His crown was stolen, his kingdom devastated, helpless, hopeless. What was he to do? Judgment inevitably was going to come. Judgment had to come. Though judgment may be postponed, though though God is long-suffering and merciful, somebody has to get the bullet, right? As Doug said this morning. Believe it or not, there is a uh, a resident in Inglewood, New Jersey. You guys come from Inglewood by any chance back there? No, right? Okay. But in Inglewood, New Jersey, there's a family. There's a, there's a, a lady by the name of uh, Jean Davis who owes over $100,000 uh, in toll fees. Uh, her 52-year-old drug-addicted son would take his mother's car and drive it back and forth from from New Jersey to New York City to buy drugs. I guess he, go, he drove through the, the easy pass and figured it was pretty easy, right? And he, he chalked up $21,000 in, in toll fees. Added to the fines on top of that for the penalties for, for not paying, she now owes $102,141. Dude, what were you thinking about? Obviously, he wasn't thinking about the consequences. He was being interviewed by a reporter from the New York Post, and he freely admits his blame, but here's the thing. His mother's on hook, on the hook for the, for the bill. It was her car. Somebody has got to pay. I love, 
I love the fact that salvation is so much more than just simply acknowledging your guilt. Salvation is not only acknowledging your guilt, it's owning it. That yes, you have sinned against the Most High God, but it's also repentance. It's turning away from that. I love what David said in Psalm 51. He said, against you and you only have I sinned and I've done this evil in your sight that, that you might be just in, in, in your verdict of judgment. But David also prayed for this. He said, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. See, salvation begins not only with the acknowledgement that you've done wrong, but it's the desire to have a clean heart and a renewed spirit. Ashes. Ashes, we all fall down. That's our experience, every single one of us in this room. And it's not really a surprise that any should become monsters. Really, the surprise is, is that God should be so gracious to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. Verse 12 says this, that in his distress, he sought the favor of the Lord his God and he humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. He humbled himself in his distress. I said last week at the conclusion of our message, many of us came to Christ because of difficult suffering circumstances, that that was the catalyst that brought us to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And in his distress, he cried out to God. And when he had prayed to him, the Lord was moved by his entreaty and he listened to his plea. What did Manasseh think about when he was in the dungeon. Jerome says he was there probably for about the space of a year. Kept alive just simply with enough bread and enough vinegar just to keep him barely alive. What must he have thought about? Did, 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 he, did he remember the stories that were told to him about his father and Isaiah the prophet? How that the city was surrounded by 185,000 elite soldiers and that the city was doomed, but they went before God and they prayed and they asked God for, for his intervention. And God sent one angel in one night, killed 185,000 of the elite soldiers. Or did he remember the story that when Isaiah the prophet went to his dad before he was born and said, this sickness is unto death, get your house in order. And, and God heard my dad's prayers and gave him 15 more years. That's why I'm here. Maybe he remembered, and he began to pray, and he began to cry out to God, and God heard his entreaty, heard his plea in his brokenness. It says in verse 13, and when he prayed, the Lord was moved by his entreaty and listened to his plea, so he brought him, that is the Lord brought him back to Jerusalem, to his kingdom. Not only did he just spare his life, but he restored him. He brought him back to Jerusalem. He brought him back into his kingdom upon the throne. And then it says, and Manasseh knew that Yahweh, Jehovah, is God. Amazing. Out of the rubble of this man's life, God displays his unmerited mercy. His undeserved mercy. But you know, it's almost, it's, almost, it's almost redundant to say unmerited mercy because mercy is always unmerited. It's the nature of mercy that God gives mercy to the guilty who look to him for forgiveness. Manasseh knew the Lord 
In that moment, Manasseh became a saved person. Do you know that his name is in the record of the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ? Somebody, though, has to pay for his crime. Somebody's got to bite the bullet. Somebody's got to be punished. But Manasseh did go back home, and when he was restored to the kingdom, he began to turn his life around. He began to remove the high places. He began, he began to remove the idols from the house of God and to purge and to cleanse the house of God. He broke up those idols and broke up those altars, and he encouraged the people to serve the Lord as he was an example to the people himself. If I could imagine for, for, for a minute that we had... We had Manasseh's testimony uh, as a video presentation, the, the way that several weeks ago you saw video presentation for those who were being baptized. Tonight, some who are being baptized, in fact, all that are being baptized, they presented their testimony on video. I would imagine if we had his testimony on video, it would go something like this. It would go, I used to be a monster, the cruelest king that ever sat upon the throne of David. That's how my generation once thought about me and even other generations who suffered during the reign of my 50 plus years of terror. But of course, that was before my imprisonment. That was before God got a hold of me and broke the wickedness of my pride. When I think about the things that I did, I shudder with regret at my wickedness. How incredibly sad to think that such a godly father like Hezekiah had a son who put his own two sons in the fire as as an act of worship to demons. The awful cries of the innocents who I slaughtered. Isaiah must have thought when he was being cut in pieces, this profane and this blasphemous king, there's no hope for him. But I am what I am by the grace of God. And his grace was sufficient for me. His grace found me in my darkness and in his mercy. He changed me. How great is God's mercy. His compassions fail not. Great is his faithfulness. He said, I now serve the Holy One of Israel with greater zeal than I once served Lucifer. Manasseh, that's my name. From the meanest man alive, to a sinner saved by grace. That's my testimony. Have you ever heard of the expression uh, caught red-handed? Sure you have. We we use that commonly, but do you know where that comes from? It comes from back in the day when if if someone's calf or or goat or or sheep was was stolen, just the proof that there was freshly killed meat was not sufficient to convict someone of their guilt. But if they were caught with the blood of the animals on their hands, that was being caught red-handed. You might as well hold your breath. You are not going to get mercy in a case like that. Somebody's got to pay. Every single one of us have been caught red-handed. But the blood that's been applied to these hands and to your hands and and our hands here is the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, which actually cleanses us from all unrighteousness. uh, Revelation 1, 5 says, Unto him who loved us and washed us in his own blood and made us kings and priests unto our God, that God laid upon him the iniquity of us all, that is, that my transgressions God placed upon Jesus. Because somebody had to 
take the bullet for us. Somebody had to pay for the crimes of Manasseh and the crimes of every human being. It's ironic that Isaiah is the one who said, come, let's reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. The grace of God has appeared toward man, teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. The grace of God not only saves us, but it also empowers us to live a new life. There's a, a tradition that was started by Harry Truman before I was born, but I read about it. Before, before I was born, Harry Truman, President of the United States, on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, kind of a, a humorous kind of a thing, but they would bring a turkey, a big old bird, into the rose garden, and, and Harry Truman began this tradition, and every president since then, up until today, has, has given the Wednesday before one single turkey that's been chosen a, an official pardon. The most powerful man in the United States gives and decrees a pardon, a pardon for a turkey, right? And, and, it's, and a, lot, a lot of times it's pretty humorous, you know, that what, what takes place if you've ever seen it, you know? And, and, and that bird then is taken to a farm in Virginia so that he lives out the rest of his life, you know, with absolute immunity from the carving board or the, or the carving knife. And he's able to live out the rest of his days. Isn't that amazing? And then you have Thanksgiving. And if anybody is thankful on that day, it's the turkey, folks. I don't know about you, but when I hear a message like this about grace... It reminds me of how thankful I need to be that the most powerful being in the universe, not the president of men, but the king of kings and the Lord of lords, looks at those who are as guilty and as, as if they were caught red-handed, but pronounces upon them that before the throne and before my father, you are without sin that he's cast our sins as far as the east is from the west because somebody paid the price, because somebody, somebody had, to, had to accept the bullet. And because of that, Jesus Christ reveals to us how great grace is. You see, grace is greater than sin and good is more powerful than evil. And the way that we overcome evil is through good. And where sin does abound, the grace of God does all the more abound. So that you and I could say, even though we've had a checkered past, and some of us have had more checkered past than others, some of us maybe qualify as once being a monster, but we could say with all certainty, like, like a man who was guilty of innocent blood, the Apostle Paul, he could say, I am what I am by the grace of God. Grace that met at the cross, grace and mercy that can meet you right now where you are, seated in this little comfortable place on Wisconsin Highway on this particular day in August. The grace of God is still flowing and the grace of God is still able to take the ashes of our life and to make beauty out of ashes, to wash us in his blood. Let's all pray together. Father, I thank you this morning 
for infinite mercy and infinite grace that you have lavished upon us. So undeserving, so unearned for, not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to your mercy, you have saved us. Every one of us, no, no different than the turkey, had been given a pardon, full and complete, that we may live out the rest of our days without fear, without, without the trepidation that, God, you've not appointed us unto wrath, that the day of judgment has already passed for, for us, for we have passed from death into life because we trust in your Son. And because of that, we have everlasting life. And the life that we now have is in the Son. So, Father, we are grateful this morning. We're thankful. If there's, if there's anything that we just need to do right now is, is to just remember what you've done for us. And if there's anyone here this morning who's never made that transaction, who's never turned his face to God like Manasseh did and sought the favor of God, I pray today, Lord God, that that they would not leave this place until they've come to discover that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, that just as you forgave and brought restoration and restored Manasseh so you can restore the ashes of their life. 